Hi, and welcome to the Willow Ridge Church Weekly Podcast. This is where you can find audio for our current and past sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's installment, and be sure to check back next week to hear the latest message. Thanks for listening. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Galatians chapter 2. As you turn there, right, it's good for us to consistently build in reminders of, of where we're at, of what we're doing, okay? So I want to thank everybody. We've, we've had a great opportunity every Sunday morning as we started off this new year to gather together as a church family, uh, starting at 945, to come together to, to have some coffee, to have some donuts, to have some snacks, to build relationships as we continue to build our church family. And I want to challenge you, if, you, if you're a part of our family and you haven't had the opportunity to join us, right, you don't have to be here at 945, but get here early is an opportunity to continue to build relationships, to continue to invest as we continue to work toward becoming one family unified in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I also want to remind everybody, so next Sunday, it's one of those first Sundays of the month, and so what that means for us is we'll be taking the Lord's Supper together as a church family, but we will also be having our first graders all the way through the adults, all of us in here together together so that we can have a part of the whole family, but then also the church fam- uh, the individual families within our church family together. And so I want to encourage you to be a part of that service with us next week as we take the Lord's Supper together, as we worship together, and as we have a wonderful time of coming together and celebrating the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, we've, we're going to start reading this morning, Galatians chapter 2. We're going to read starting in verse 11 and go through verse 21. God's word says this, but when Cephas, and make a note that when it says this name, this is Peter, came to Antioch, Paul writes and he says, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, again reminding you guys, this is Peter, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? This is a key argument that we've been talking about since the beginning of studying and understanding Galatians, all right? is how can you impose something that's not the gospel on those converting, is what Paul is saying. Verse 15, he says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. This is important. Underline this in your Bible because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Continue on in verse 17. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. 
For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Now, there's a lot in this passage of Scripture. In fact, what we're going to get this week is kind of message 1A, and then next week as we take the Lord's Supper and lead into this, we're going to wrap up this particular passage of Scripture and get the second half of what's going on. As Paul is continuing on and concluding the section as he's sharing his story of what's going on in his life. And this is the third segment that we've kind of seen in this as Paul shares if you go all the way back to a couple weeks ago, it was the second week in, his, in our study of Galatians, we see the first section where, where Paul talks about his salvation, his salvation experience, and an important part for him that he focuses in on of what God does in that. That this gospel that he received was not the gospel of man. That it didn't come from one man to another, but that God revealed it to him. And it's the supernatural aspect of the gospel that, of what Paul is implanting, that for the Jew and for the Gentile, for every person who has ever lived, there is one gospel, and it's important that this gospel comes from God. It's the establishment of what he lays down before them. And then he jumps and scripture tells us 14 years later in his story, and he begins to talk about the Jerusalem council. And at the Jerusalem council, it's determined this man named Titus, that even though he is a Gentile, that he is a full believer of Christ with nothing else added to that for him required to do, that he's a full believer of Christ, even though he does not follow all of the customary Jewish laws or traditions that are there living in the culture. That now we see the establishment and the confirmation of what Paul knew as God imparted the gospel to him, as God called him to the Gentiles, that it is one unified gospel for the Jew, for the Gentile, for everyone, for every nation, for every tribe, every tongue. It's the foundation of the hope that we have that we're called to share. It's the reminder that regardless of what we look like, regardless of what we say, that there is one gospel, the gospel of Christ. And now what we're going to get is we're going to get the third part. We're going to get the third part of his story. And as we see, it's the culmination of what Paul is drawing together as he explains that it is the gospel who saved Titus. It is the gospel who would save Peter. It's the gospel who would save Paul. It's the gospel who would save you. It's the gospel who would save me. But that even after salvation, it's the gospel that keeps us. It's the gospel that's the standard. That when we are saved, it's not then we walk away and carry the gospel just to share it. But we walk away, we carry the gospel to share it, but also the gospel to live by. And we see the transforming power of the gospel. Well, here in the third section of what we read this morning is Paul addresses an issue that he had with Peter. Now before, back in the Jerusalem council, Peter was there. 
And he and Peter were unified concerning Titus and the gospel. But now they're no longer in Jerusalem. They're in Antioch, a largely Gentile city. And Paul stands in opposition to Peter. He rebukes him. He calls him out. He challenges him. So what in the world was going on? You see, to simplify it, Peter had changed his eating habits. Peter had changed his social status when he would eat. Before he would eat with the Gentiles, but now he has stopped his eating with them and in doing so, stopped his fellowship with the Gentiles. You see, there begins to now be a break in what was fought for to be unified. Not only is the gospel unified in message, but it's always important that the gospel is also unified in its application. And Peter had walked away from that. And so Paul is addressing him. So why would he do this? Why would Peter, who knows, why would Peter, who with boldness, would proclaim who Christ is, why would Peter, one of those closest to have walked with Christ, the leader of the core of what was there, being willing to charge a Roman centurion with a knife to set Jesus free? Why would Peter, who would write scripture, why would Peter, who would be such a foundational leader in the church, why would he break away from this? Why would he head down to this path? It's because of the sin that was in his life. You see, let me explain to you Old Testament, what we're going to call clean laws. The Old Testament clean laws found in Leviticus were a series of regulations for worshipers to follow. And God had put them in place for them to be ceremonial, clean, and acceptable in the presence of God for worship. And so a handful of them were, they were required to eat certain foods and not eat certain foods because the certain foods they were not eat were deemed to be unclean. They were not allowed to touch dead things. If someone had a disease, they were not allowed to touch them. Or if you had a disease that you were forbidden from touching others. And there were many other clean laws that are there that are found in Leviticus. And God is doing these to teach his people something. God is doing this to teach them something about his, themselves, but also God is doing this to teach them something about himself. And what God wanted to show with the clean laws was that a sinful people, everyone, needed to be clean in order to enter into the presence of God. It's a beautiful picture of what would take place of the work of Christ to allow you and I, sinners, to be brought into a right relationship with the holy God. What we would see in the know of the hope of the gospel was that in order to be made clean is not found in anything that we do, but it's found in the work of Christ, of what Christ does on our behalf. And Jesus comes and he addresses the clean laws. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus says that even with his arrival, that these laws have passed. And then there's a wonderful picture in the book of Acts, where God sends a, a vision to Peter of all people, specifically to show him why this law has gone away. And then in a wonderful part where, where Peter understands this, he meets a Gentile named Cornelius who gets saved. And Peter says, these are Peter's words, 
Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears God is acceptable to him. See, the beautiful hope of the great commission call of the gospel to take it outside of a race, to take it outside of a nationality, and to spread it to the hope of the nation. But after this, we begin to see that in spite of criticism, Peter continues to eat with Gentiles. In spite of all of these things of what could take place, Peter pushes forward. But in Antioch, it changes. In Antioch, we see a different reaction. Why? What would cause Peter, someone who understands the gospel, what would cause Peter, someone who teaches the gospel, what would cause him to break away from what he knew, to abandon the implications of the gospel on his life? You see, Peter hasn't walked away from what he knows will save him. But what he has walked away from in this moment as he refuses to eat with Gentiles is what the gospel does in his life every single day. And when I look around the room and I look in the mirror, what I know with us of what we do when we fall into patterns of sin is you and I, we do not walk away from the reality that the gospel saves us. But all too often, we walk away from the application of what the gospel calls us to every single day in our life. So what would cause Peter to do this? Look back at verse 12. Paul says, For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself. Why? Because fearing the circumcision party. It was fear. Fear is what crept into him. Fear of criticism from others. Fear of judgment from others. Fear of abandonment from his culture. And what we find in the life of Peter, what we find in verse 12, is so often what rings true in our life today is this, is that oftentimes fear is what pulls us away from obedience to God. We become the insecure child who's afraid of losing what's all around them as opposed to being obedient to the God who saves us. And fear creeps in. What are they going to think about me? What are they going to say about me? What are they going to exclude me from? What is going to happen to me? And fear pulls Peter. Fear pulls me. Fear pulls you away from obedience to the gospel. And so Paul addresses him. Paul's like, we're going to deal with this. And we're going to look at two ways in which Paul addresses him this morning. The first thing that Paul does is Paul reminds Peter of walking in the gospel. Look back at verse 14. He says, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth, underline that in your Bible, 
was not in step with the truth of the gospel. I said to Cephas, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Here's Paul's issue with Peter. It's not that he's not being a good host. It's not that he's breaking protocol. It's that Peter's actions and life are not reflective of the truth of the gospel. Because for the message of the gospel to be made known, it is fully in what we say and what we do. You see, we can't separate our actions from our message, from our words. It is all tied into this. And so Paul's like, Peter, you can't proclaim this with your mouth or write this with your pen, but yet live different from what the gospel implies for your life. And so in the separation, in the removal I have to address this. By Peter doing what he is doing, it actually says the opposite of the gospel. And what Peter is doing is he is no longer walking in the gospel. He's no longer walking in what saves him, but he is walking in the world. He's walking in the culture. He's walking in the standard that others have set for him and not the standard by which God has set before him. Let me ask you this this morning, church. How do you walk? How do you walk? In every aspect of your life, how do you walk? He addresses Peter. He calls him a hypocrite. And let me tell you, let me explain one of the criticisms from the outside of the church is that gathered here in this place and in every church that the church is filled with a bunch of hypocrites. And let me say, as the world looks at us, they're right. They're right. If we examine the way that we walk, and we're not walking in line with the gospel, they are right. You see, hypocrisy comes when you intentionally walk some with the gospel, in some in the world. Let me ask you this. As a church member, as a Christian, do we walk in the gospel in the areas that we select? So when I step here in this place, I want to walk in line with the gospel and the things that I say and the things that I do and how I live and how I interact and how I greet, that in this place I walk in line with the gospel, that when I interact with my wife, when I interact with my family, when I interact with them, I want to walk in line with the gospel. Does it mean for us that when we walk with our children and we want to mold and shape and develop them, that we want to walk in line with the gospel? Can I tell you in those three things, if you want to walk in line with the gospel, praise God. But if we walk out of here, and we don't want to walk in line with the gospel as a coach, if we don't want to walk in line with the gospel on social media, if we don't want to walk in line with the gospel at work or in our cul-de-sac, if we don't want to walk in line with the gospel in our hunt club, if we don't want to walk in line with the gospel in the social settings with our friends, who maybe many of them, and let me tell you this, I hope most of your friends are not believers because God's planted you there to be a missionary for them, if we're not walking in line with the gospel in those settings, then we are a hypocrite. What is good for your house and what is good for here is not what's good for you there. But we must walk in 
line. We can't have a foot in both worlds. I started taking my kids hunting with me at a really early age, probably too early. I think Grayson was three the first time he went with me. There was not a deer within five square miles of us that did not hear him in that deer stand. And I'll never forget, I got a picture of it that Aaron took of us in our kitchen that, that, that afternoon as we were, were going to go hunting, and I'm bending down, and he's, he's there, probably like 35 pounds, and he's ready to go, and he's got his toy gun on his shoulder. And we head out there, and of course, we didn't. We didn't see a deer. And we get ready to walk back, and I pull up my phone because that's where my flashlight's on. And as I turn on my flashlight, it's pitch black dark. We hunt on a piece of property called Gum Swamp. There's alligators, there's rattlesnakes, there's water moccasins, there's wild hogs. I go to walk out of there and I go to turn on my flashlight and my flashlight dies. And now I've got a whole bunch of stuff because you got to take a three-year-old a lot of things to stay engaged, right? So I've got like two bags, I've got my rifle, and I've got my son. And I look at him and I said, buddy... We're going to walk back to the truck. we got to walk past the swamp. There's some stuff there. Here's what I need you to do. For you to be safe, where I walk, you walk. Don't go to the side of me. Don't try to get around me. But where I place my feet, you place your feet. And we'll work our way. And even though, we, even though you and I can't see what lies ahead of us, I will make a path for us. And the path will be safe for you as long as you stay on the path. And he looked at me and said, okay. He asked if he could hold my hand. I said, absolutely. And so for about 500 yards through the woods, I walked like this as my three-year-old son walked behind me, putting his foot in my footprints. Church, God set a path for us. And he says if we're going to walk in the gospel, it's not one foot on his path and one foot on our path. It's not that at home this is how I walk, but when I'm out at, when I'm out at work, when I'm over with my friends, when I'm doing all the things that I want to do, then I choose my own path. That's not gospel living. And it's not who he has called us to be. It's not what he has put within our hearts to do. It's not the transformation that's there. You see, here's the truth about the path of the gospel. Here's the part that my story doesn't tell. Sometimes the path is still hard. Sometimes there will still be things to try to lead us off of the path. Sometimes our culture, sometimes our friends, sometimes those we trust the most, sometimes even others that are gathered in here will try to pull us off. But it's why it's so important that the people in this room are not our standards. It's why it's important that the rules of our culture are not what sets our path. But it's why it's important that an understanding and an application of God's word is what's laid down before us. So God set our path. Make it clear. And as the gospel transforms us, we keep going on. 
So Paul reminds him of the path. But Paul also addresses for Peter what I'm going to refer to as hidden sin. Hidden sin. Acceptable sin. It's okay sin. Sin that as he does it, the culture that's around embraces it and says, that's fine. That's who we are. That's fine. That's what we do. That's fine. That's the way things are done around here. You see, what Peter is struggling with in this moment, it is the sin that has been accepted in his culture. It's the Peter is struggling with the way that he was raised. Peter is struggling with the things that have been imparted to him, the things that have been taught to him. He's struggling with a layer of nationalistic pride. He's struggling with a layer of racism. He's struggling with a layer of elitism. He's struggling with being able to implement the gospel in every aspect of his life. Because of fear. And what we see is the hidden sin that begins to come out. You see, Peter struggles that when he walks in the room, that when he's there, what's socially required of him, what's culturally required of him, is to think Jew over Gentile. But he knows the difference. But he chooses not what he knows from the gospel, but Peter chooses what he knows from culture. He chooses what he's comfortable with. He chooses what he feels is best. What he chooses is his people. What he chooses is his race. What he chooses is his nation, not the gospel. And it's the gospel over all things. I want you to think about a time in your life when you've walked into a setting that culturally was difficult for you. Maybe it took place in another country. Maybe it took place from a, a co-worker who's maybe from a different country and they invite you over for a meal and you walk in and cultures are different. Maybe it happened in a friendship or a relationship of a neighbor that you have. I want you to think of a point in time in a moment for you where you felt awkward culturally. You felt uncomfortable culturally because you were different than everyone else who surrounded you. Now, think about Jesus. Jesus was always different than every person that he ever met. Every man, woman, and child that Jesus ever encountered, he was different then. He was different from his neighbors. He was different from his mom. He was different from his siblings. What made him different? The lack of sin and the presence of holiness in his life. And in spite of fear, in spite of criticism, in spite of persecution, when Jesus walked into a room where he was different than everyone who was there, what rang true was the gospel in spite of what awaited him. He went to the home of Zacchaeus, a betrayer, 
a tax collector, a thief. And he had dinner with him. He sat there in the midst of those that would surround him in their self-proclaimed righteousness and let what the Bible describes as a sinful woman wash his feet with her hair. He's walking down the road with a group of people who are surrounding him. And out of his corner of his eye, he sees Matthew, a tax collector, another crook, another thief, someone that culture said was lower than a dog. And he said, hey man, come follow me. Not only follow me, but be my closest friend, be my closest ally, be my disciple. He sat there during the middle of the day when it was hot outside. He sat there at a well with a woman of a different race, with a woman of questionable moral standing, and said, hey, can you give me some water? I'm thirsty. And she says, why would you talk to me? <laughs> because he's the savior of the world. The gospel is him. And he shared with her the hope that he had. You see, Paul addresses the hidden sin in the life of Peter. And Jesus taught and Jesus showed what it meant to look past nationalistic pride, to look past race, to look past social standing, to look past the sinful living of others in a desire to love others and a hope to bring the gospel to them. And so Paul says to Peter, when you walk in the room and you create the divide, when you walk in the room and you and your sin chooses who's better, when you walk in that, the gospel that has saved you is not the gospel that you're displaying. I'm just going to ask you guys this. What path are you walking on this morning? What path are you walking on? Is your life, as Paul says, in step with the gospel, flowing to the rhythm of what God has called you to, to the hope of what has saved you, to the hope of what's transforming you? Or are you on another path altogether, walking on the path of the world, figuring it out yourself, trying to understand how to make your own self righteous? Or are you like so many of us, living your life as a hypocrite. Sometimes I'm on this path, sometimes I'm on the other. It all depends on who I want to be. Would you pray with me? God, we come to you this morning. Lord, and I just ask you, Lord, through the power of your Spirit, through the conviction of who you are, or to lay out before us our path. Or as you gave Peter a vision in Acts, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts. Show to us as individuals, Lord, what path we are on. 
Lord, show us what we choose. Lord, for those of us who proclaim that it's the gospel of Christ and Christ alone that has saved us, Lord, show us where we have wandered off of the path. Lord, show us in how your grace can show us as only you can, where we have embraced hypocrisy, where we are not who we have claimed to be, where we are not walking in the boldness of faith. Lord, and I pray for those of us who are there that this morning, through the grace of your heart, through the kindness of your spirit, Lord, that you would bring us to the sweet spot of repentance. Lord, if it's, a, if it's like Peter, if it's a heart of racism, Lord, help us understand that you heal all things, that you restore all things, and that we will no longer see people as defined by their culture, as defined by their skin color, as defined by their language, or but that we would see them as individuals created by God who either need the gospel or who are already fellow brothers and sisters of the gospel. Lord, change the way we see. Lord, heal us. Bring us back. Lord, maybe we're wandering off another path because of fear. Fear that if I'm not this way, then I won't be accepted. If I'm not this way, then I won't have my job. If I'm not this way, then I won't be useful. If I'm not this way, then the world will no longer need me. Lord, set us free from that. Lord, bring in line in every aspect of our life. May our walk at church, may our walk with our spouse, may our walk with our kids, may our walk with our friends, may our walk with our coworkers, may our walk with our neighbors, may our walk by ourselves be on the path of the gospel in step with who you are. Lord, and for those of us in this room, we're completely on another path. Lord, bring us back to the very important thing that we began with, that it's Christ and Christ alone. With every head bowed and every eye closed, whatever brought you here, whatever sin or failure that you may feel that you have, whatever pursuit you've been on, there's one road, it's the road that leads to Jesus. We'd like to talk to you this morning about a relationship with him. We'd love to show you what a relationship with him looks like so that you may walk out of here on a path of the gospel. Jesus, do what you're going to do or draw our hearts to you and we'll praise you for it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Just a moment, we're gonna stand, we're gonna respond. 
We've got prayer encouragers on either side of the auditorium. Pastor Dave is back here at the tables. I will be down front. If you'd like to talk to someone about a relationship with the Lord, if you'd like to talk to someone about a struggle that you're going through, we'd love to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you. But please, don't respond to us. Respond to God and how he's leading you this morning. Would you stand as we worship him? Thanks again for listening to the Willow Ridge Church weekly podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this week's message. If you'd like to learn more about who we are or explore additional resources, visit us online at www.willowridgechurch.com or by searching for Willow Ridge Church on Facebook and Instagram.